is a minicast with Manila-based reporter Regine Cabato of the Washington Post. In the main conversation, we discuss the Philippines as it relates to domestic politics and global economic systems. For this minicast, or PS, I wanted to chat with Regine about press freedom in the Philippines, why journalism matters, and some of the issues with Philippine social media and how it's been abused by the Duterte administration. Our main conversation can be found, like this conversation, on the Arts of Travel podcast. You can find that on Android, Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. And you can go to our main hub, asiaarttours.com, for more programs, articles, and interviews with artists all throughout Asia. responses actually been that are effective and in the Philippines where we do see a lot of this cyber warfare cyber troopers buzzers um, trolls where is there a big push like we've seen for Donald Trump with Fox News or Bolsonaro with uh, partisan media Narendra Modi as well where media is is very connected to the leadership where do we see sort of Duterte actually being effective? And where do we see this sort of more sinister push of making him appear more effective? So policies that normally would be critiqued, the media doesn't talk about, friction between Duterte and maybe the leaders of very popular cities like a Manila, like the mayor of Manila. So could you describe the effectiveness and where we see this push uh, to create propaganda to make him appear more effective than he actually is? Um, for the most part um, in the Philippines, I'd say that the free press is generally critical of, of Duterte. You, you'll generally see that the, the free press, um, even as you know, they're, they're um, exposing a lot of um, the violence or abuses among like, police, like, you'll also see that they, they have coverage of like, you know, explainers, for example, of, of cash grants. Um, of the kind of assistance for for overseas Filipino workers that's being done. Um, I think a lot of the push to twist this into an angle that makes the president look more effective than he is, like you said, um, would not necessarily come from the free press, but would come from um, these online outliers, these... Like the troll farms, so the, the, the troll farms, basically, so to speak, um, the propagandists, um, not the free press. I think that there's um, that kind of narrative being pushed online, especially, and you'll you'll see it in Facebook groups, especially targeted towards um, President Duterte's constituents, um, people who voted for him. To give you a bit of an overview of what this 
um, online propaganda hierarchy looks like um, based on interviews and our own observations um, and and you know talks with analysts that we've had when we were pursuing our, our investigation about trial farms in the Philippines. Um, the hierarchy involves um, at the lowest level probably the, the, like the main workers who run fake accounts online, right? Um, who run multiple, possibly hundreds of fake accounts um, to create an illusion of support for a certain politician. And then above them, you have quote-unquote influencers. Um, these are the propagandists, people who um, are are real people. Um, some of them really do have a face um, and like have a, have a real name. And they have um, thousands, um, hundreds of thousands, possibly even of followers um, online. And their posts, their um, blog entries, so to speak, um, are, you know, points of confluence for supporters of this particular politician. Um, So that kind of push from, like, this kind of narrative push comes from players like that, those propagandists. Um, they're the ones who, you know, push forward rhetoric such as try to find blame, for example, um, among curfew or quarantine violators, like saying that, oh, you should have just stayed home. These people are just hard-headed. Um, that kind of rhetoric, if you dig around the internet enough, you'll see that there are quote-unquote influential people or influential bloggers or um, people who kind of have a larger following online who kind of push that idea and then they're retweeted or they're engaged with um, by all these other accounts which you don't know which you can't say for sure are actual real people so like that's the kind of um, that's where I I kind of observe um, that push coming from this was a brief question for Regine on press freedom in the Philippines and why free press matters on the first week of April I kind of monitored the top trends in Twitter. And after a long day of, you know, bad news and frustration with Duterte's recent late-night address, and around April 1, his critics got hashtag OustDuterte and hashtag OustDuterte now to be a top trend um, on Twitter. The next day, pro-government accounts, a lot of them with suspicious headlines and few follower accounts, responded with hashtag I stand with the president kind of defending the Duterte. And then the day after that, um, critics responded with hashtag, I can't stand the president. And then the day after, supporters used hashtag Ars Duterte as a counter to oust Duterte. So I asked Twitter if they had noticed this activity and if they were doing anything about it, pointing to some sample threads where suspicious accounts were gathered. Um, or at least pointing out to the sample hashtags. And then they later said they en- ended up taking down hundreds of accounts, tweeting under the pro-government hashtags, saying that they had exhibited spammy behavior and were violating um, Twitter's rules. When that report ran on the Washington Post's live blog a couple of weeks ago, I was constantly harassed by these pro-government accounts. You know, they'd call me all sorts of names. They put my picture up on a propaganda site claiming that the Post had retracted my report, which is false. Um, And a friend of mine who ended up religiously tracking and reporting the accounts that were harassing me said she reported over 100 Twitter accounts overall 
and then she noticed that it had a kind of similar um she noticed that they had a kind a lot of similarities with um the accounts that were criticizing a local celebrity who spoke up against the government um particularly because of I, I don't know hashtag use or something along those lines so basically these troll farms had the sort of social media script or spiel as you would have it um then earlier this week another colleague from the local press said she was being harassed on facebook for a report that she wrote and when she linked me to the account that was harassing her primarily or that had made a post that was trying to destroy the merit of her report it included a guy who had been a consistent heckler in my threads about the twitter takedown um Basically, it's more or less the same, you know, troll foreign players here. And it's suspect because no sane or no decent or real person, like a person with an actual job, like there's no way that that person would spend their Easter weekend from midnight until morning spamming a journalist with repeated taunts and threats for no reason. But that's the idea of it. Like that's an idea of how social media in the Philippines is now like that's the kind of climate that we report under um and this is something that maria has known for a long time she's gotten like the worst of it like i don't think of the threats that i've gotten um or the the taunts that i've gotten online like even come close to comparing to the shit that maria has has had from from these online you know haters and trolls um so in that particular sense I think that the press like really operates on delicate like delicate ground in the Philippines. The press has always been as as one person in in my um in the foreign correspondence organization put it. The press has always been attacked under the Philippines. Like we are still one of the um worst countries in the world to report from. It's still one of the most the Philippines is still one of the most unsafe countries for journalists. And yet Um, we've kind of earned a reputation in the Philippines for still being, as it is, the freest press in Asia. I guess the bar is pretty low. Um, but I think this is an indicator for the kind of quote-unquote new world order that we, we have to operate in. That said, one thing that a colleague told me when I was being bombarded by um, a lot of threats from these accounts online is that these accounts aren't real. They're not real people, she told me. Um, and those that are, you know, aren't necessarily relevant people, you know? So that's one thing that I think can be or still is a driving force for journalists, despite all the vitriol that we have to wade in online. Like when we feel our work isn't important, um, And we're being made to feel like our work is not important because there are possibly paid people who are, you know, campaigning to try to discredit the work that we do. One thing that I try to remember is that what happens in social media is still largely a bubble. Like many rural areas um, that need, you know, that that need or many sectors that need representation among the press you know, have limited connection to the internet. Um, and those that are online, um, like there's the people who are critical, you know, um, like when it when it comes to 
um, what they see online and also when it comes to like you know media coverage. So basically, one thing I try to remember is that social media is still largely a bubble. It's full of echo chambers. Um, and despite the quote-unquote new world order, I don't think it's ever going to come to a point where what the press does, what the free press does, is going to become irrelevant. Like, if anything, their work needs to become, becomes even more relevant under the current context, you know? Um, okay, just for an overview of press freedom in the Philippines, when the, when the quarantine was starting out, um, the press were very concerned about the bureaucracy surrounding media accreditation um, and like the the basically the bureaucracy surrounding um, getting passes and stuff and being able to cover the virus and all that um, stuff that would would govern the mobility of journalists at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, there have been um, uh, there has been a letter by the, by um, local press groups expressing concern um, about the, the kind of accreditation process that that took place. Um, but for the most part, people have been able, the media has been able to cover the pandemic. Um, now, a clause in the Bayanihan Law, which lays the groundwork for rules, or which lays the ground rules for quarantine, um, penalizes the sharing of false information relating to the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and, you know, the penalties include two months in prison or a fine of up to one million. And it was a last-minute provision that was not in the initial draft of the law. So press organizations, of course, found this problematic, especially since there's no legal framework that actually defines fake news or disinformation in the Philippine context. So in this sense that clause or that provision could easily be abused. And sure enough, we've already heard of reports of people being arrested, intimidated, or possibly, you know, penalized relating to this law or other restrictions on freedom of speech. Like, Reporters Without Borders noted that two journalists are facing a case relating to this provision in the Bayanihan law. Um, a campus journalist was threatened with cyber libel by a former teacher for being critical of the government. Um, a school teacher has been arrested for um, on charges of sedition for alleging that the local government um, was keeping food packs um, in a local gym and not distributing them. And people were saying that on Facebook she was inciting people to, you know, charge the gym and claim those food packs. Um, and instead of people looking into that allegation, you know, authorities arrested her. Um, and then, according to um, the Free Legal Assistance Group, people have been summoned to the National Bureau of Investigation for their online posts. You know, um, so we ha we do see these these kinds of attempts to try to um, stifle the freedom of speech. And just because it's quote unquote part of a new world order doesn't mean that it's okay. I got into a bit of an online discussion with someone with a with a with a friend who said that the freedom of the press should be limited under quarantine just because we're under quarantine we're under lockdown um and you know like everyone has to adjust and stuff like that um 
And I argue that actually now more than ever, the public needs the free press, whether they admit it or not. You know, without the free press, it's it's not just about being critical of the government or things like that. Without the free press, health workers would have stayed stranded and have been they would have been unable to report to work on the first in the first um bit of the of of the quarantine. Um the reason why government the government started giving shuttle services to health workers was because the press widely reported that a lot of health workers were stranded on the first day of the lockdown. And it became increasingly clear that this was a consideration that was that did not come up when when the lockdown was implemented or when the lockdown was thought out, you know. Um, without the free press, a lot of hospitals in the Philippines would not have been able to broadcast their calls for the nations and their need for protective gear. Now, the Philippine General Hospital and like a lot of private hospitals that previously did not have any PPEs um, or had little to no PPEs at the beginning of the pandemic um, now have stocks for the next couple of weeks at least. Um, and these are the nations that were made possible because um, their call for help was basically broadcasted through the free press. Um, and most of all, um, it's the free press reporting on the possible abuses that take place under quarantine um, that kind of drive, drive the point home that there are people who are still watching what goes on in the Philippines. And there are still, you know... Um, Possible. There are still reasons to be to be outraged at the way things are are being handled. So, I think yeah, now more than ever, the public needs needs the free press. But just in relation to the free press question, I think one um, analysis that I was reading was about the, was an analysis from um, Reporters Without Borders. So RSF. Um, posted an analysis that the pandemic could have been prevented to a certain degree or it could have been a lot um, more contained than it is now if the press in China had been given more freedom to cover it. So there's a point-by-point analysis over there um, that kind of shows that, you know, it's not necessarily about um, being contrarian to the government um it's not necessarily about you know antagonizing um in a partisan way the government in a partisan way um but generally a free press can contribute and is contributing to um you know policy feedback to informing people of um of the circumstances and of the health crisis um and these are things that that can help the public and that can, you know, help the government if they just pay attention, you know, so, or if they just care to listen. Mm-hmm.